Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. Part of my kind of time with the Mannix is a professional one and a personal one, so it's all a bit mixed up with emotion and then I kind of lose years. I remember mm. today I'd completely yeah. forgotten an album on the list. It was like, shit, how did I do that? Probably one of the forgettable ones. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Can you guess which one the negative one is, Terry? Can I get yeah. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually not. I've actually been I think Adam would actually say he's been would probably be say he's surprised at the general level of positivity he's had from me. Well, I wouldn't get that. Uh, no, were, you really, were, you, were you really expecting more positivity than you've received? Like, Luke, be on your worst behaviour. Don't let me down on this. I like. I've given. I think some, you've been very even-handed. I've been. I've given some some songs some absolute like love. Yeah, more true. than I ever expected. Yeah, that's true. That and then true. I've also yeah. said uh, like certain albums are dog shit, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which you know, and do you know what? To be fair. So have I. We've all got like our least favourite Manix album, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and at this point, it's probably worth pointing out that our episodes start with like a bit of random chat like we've just been doing. And then I introduce the episode like this. Hello and welcome to <laughs> Do You Love Us? A and then I turn analysis. into the Stone Roses and go, oh, my <laughs> please, please don't interrupt the introduction. That's, that's <laughs> terrible, terrible <laughs> guest <laughs> etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello and welcome to Do You Love Us, a critical analysis of the, what is it, history, cultural impact and music of Manic Street Preachers. We're going through the discography, album by album, track by track, asking the questions, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of a band make you appreciate their output a little bit more? And more importantly, we're asking the questions, do you love us? Uh, us being the band Manic Street Preachers and not uh, us, the host of the podcast, Do You Love Us, to which you are now listening. Um, the The voice you heard 
rudely interrupted. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> Terry's already my favourite guest because she completely <laughs> cut you off. And that's my favourite thing that's ever no, I, I thought we were still in the rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we all think that, like, during, like, the whole episode, usually. But that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, hi, Terry Hall. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've, uh, you've worked in the music industry for, like... You know, I, I don't I don't want to make you feel old or anything, but like years and years and years. <laughs> a long, long time. Yeah. Very long time. Like in, in management and PR as well as sort of other little roles. And you've I'm just gonna briefly mention that you've worked with uh Oasis and Stone Roses and Elbow and Stereophonics and the Pogues and the Coral and the Cortinas and Crowded House and Muse and Neil Finn and Kylie Minogue and Emma Bunnan and Shaq and Feeder and Specials and Kaiser Chiefs and Damien Rice and Ray Lamontaine and Gaz Coombs and of course uh Manic Street Preachers. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm exhausted now. Yes, yeah, and really the Do You Love Us to... podcast, which yes, is the highlight the of her career. Name yeah. on all <laughs> of <those>. Pinnacle. <laughs> um, so I suppose uh, the best place to start uh, with, like such like an impressive uh, list spanning, you know, a long amount of time in the music industry, is to uh, start at the beginning. Uh, so Terry, uh, what is music? Oh God! <laughs> we'll wait. Um, yeah, we've got to. Well, that's a real shit start question. <laughs> I, it, it's hard to analyse what music is because it's so stitched into my life since since I was eighteen and I worked in a record company. So it's always mm. been my social life, my my miserable life, my quiet <laughs> life. It, it it's it it goes along with everything with every mood with every success with every failure M- music has been a part of it a part of it so is, is that when you started working in a record label when you were 18 i was 18 and i worked at christmas records and um i got the job via a sister through a friend friend so it was all sort of you know I think it was my only interview, actually, as well. The only interview I've ever had. Uh, and that's a lie. I had an interview after that. Um, and there I met Simon Fuller. Um, and Simon Fuller had signed a couple of bands, Paul Hardcastle and The Adventures. And after a year or so, he said, I want to leave and start up a management company. Will you come with me? And I did. And I did that for seven years and left. And then for a brief time, I worked with Robin Miller, um, and actually helped make Motown Junk, which I'll come on to. <laughs> um, and then uh, Philip, my late husband, I, I got approached by a few people to go and work with them, Prince's management. And Philip, my lovely old late husband, said, you know, why don't you just set up on your own? So I did for a while. I started a company called This Much Talent, and we managed producers. And then when Philip died, he had this sort of crazy one conversation notion that I should take over Hall or Nothing PR. And I thought it was ridiculous. I wasn't a PR, I was on <laughs> the side of stuff. But when he died, I thought, you know what, I, maybe I will, maybe I'll just run it for a year. I'll sort of carry out his wishes. And if I fuck it up, I fuck it up. And um, I didn't. And it, it went from a really cool independent PR company with a great foundation to a really big independent PR company, which was very successful. And then I, I left um, a few years ago, went back to Simon Fuller 
Mm. and didn't really enjoy that corporate world too much because I think at heart I kind of used to working for myself and being my own boss yeah sure and then I went into management so I kind of gave up Paul or Nothing PR a few years ago I think the last album I worked with the band was Postcards from a Young Man hey that's the one that we just uh, we've just released an episode on I think yeah and probably don't ask me any questions <laughs> no, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> all I'm going to do is talk about the Holy Bible no no, no. <laughs> so, yes it's been so what is music I don't know it's my career it's my social life it's my downtime it's 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 you know i'm beginning to sound like a song now aren't i um, that's great though that's, that's we'll, we'll probably, put a beat behind that yeah it's probably the best way to answer a question like what is music me when i'm miserable it accompanies me when i'm dancing when i'm having fun when i'm walking it's just mm. i don't know it's something you really take advantage of but without it and obviously in this time without live music and you know we're, oh, we're, yeah we're really yeah right now you know, we're all a bit sort of lost. You know, we can't go to gigs and we can't meet up. And you know, I don't really. Wa- I don't want to watch someone in their living room doing a gig. I want to go. Yeah, I've not been to any of these where you can buy tickets and watch a band play in a studio. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't. I can't. I wouldn't be able to connect with that in any way. Like I could just. I don't know. I. I. I don't know. It's difficult. Like you want to support an artist, don't you? But likewise, I don't think I could enjoy that because I think I'd just be a bit sad. No. Yeah, I mean, that's almost. Yeah, you know, we watch Glastonbury on the telly. Well, I do because I've got, as I've got older, I just can't hack the festivals. So I do enjoy yeah. Glastonbury <laughs> as a TV show. But but someone in their bedroom doing a little gig. I mean, if the manic, we were trying to break the manics now, it'd be a disaster, wouldn't it? Because it was those gigs that were just yeah so exciting and equipment being smashed up and you know makeup and you know you how could you recreate that out of someone's bedroom? It's just a lot of bands are really going to suffer for the next year because it's really hard to break them in this mm. time. It's tough. And I think it's, we're not out of the woods yet. I've moved a tour four times this year. Wow. So yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah I've not even considered new artists starting out. Like there must've been some bands or artists that just got going, maybe were about to have their first gig and it never happened. And that, and that's probably completely quashed some talent yeah. somewhere and they've probably given up. And I've never really thought about that. This has got depressing quickly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, yeah. Steve. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, this was yeah, supposed so to be the year that I... It is. It's like, it's like, you know, the soundtrack to your life. And, and certainly the Manics are the soundtrack to a big part of mine. Yeah. Um, when did you first hear the name Manic Street Preachers? Like how early in their career were you involved? I think um, Philip Hall, and obviously we're going to talk about him a lot, he Mm. owned Hall or Nothing PR, and he was among the people in the industry, if you remember, who received the letter. Yes, the infamous letter. remember the letter that was like, our lives are shit and we're going to kill ourselves if we don't get out of Blackwood. (laughs) And I, I don't have the letter. I don't know who's got the letter. Maybe his brother might have it. I'm not sure. So he told me about a band who'd written some crazy mad letter and, and there was sort of whispers in the industry because I think Jeff Barrett got one from Heavenly and somebody else got one um, and he trotted down over to Cardiff with his brother Martin and saw them in a sort of classroom I think the school keeper let them have a an afternoon in a classroom and, and he, <laughs> they played a little gig and they had a meeting he came back and he was like I'm going to manage the Manic Street Preachers. Wow. It was that instant yeah, he did. I mean, I think he was impressed by the letter. 
and I think he loved them when he met them. He just thought they were. That, um, that letter writing strategy is definitely a strategy that works once, I think. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't imagine it working with any other band after the Manics had done it. Um, it just seems so uh, specific to the way that they uh, port- wanted to be portrayed in the media, I suppose, is, is the yeah. way to put that. Um, what on earth uh, possessed you guys to ask them to live with you? when i was talking about that with a girlfriend because she remembers coming to the house in askey road and there was amps and flight cases in the hall and four sweaty punk boys it was a real practical (laughs) one because i was quite a little mrs bossy pants back then and occasionally philip would say if the manics are on tour and they're close to london would it be okay if they came back and stayed here to save them driving to cardiff or blackwood which was a lot further Mm. and save hotels and I was like yeah sure they can come and stay here the odd night um and then one night I I can't remember I was saying to him where are the band tonight and he was like they're in Glasgow they're in Norwich and they're not traveling we're putting them in a hotel and I was who's paying for the hotel and he was like (laughs) we are I was like right they can move in okay Yeah. yeah so it was kind of it was so weird but but so seamless that we just got married um, I was 20. Yeah, you were newlyweds, right? We were newlyweds and in came <laughs> four blokes from the valleys. Sweaty little punk boys. Yeah, so we became <laughs> six instantly. And it was, you know, I don't think there was any rows. It was, it, was it was quite strange. They were very, very different people to the ones you saw on the telly at the time. There was right, no... exactly. Like, well, I mean, they'd have to be. Like, nobody could kind of keep that up. Um, like in their private life and their public life it would be yeah i do like the idea of 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 nicky wire going on stage smashing smashing up the stage saying all the stuff he does coming back home making a cup of tea and then doing the washing up for you i do like that and and saturday we had our chores so nicky wire would be hoovering and he would be behind the sofa cleaning the skirting boards well he does love that as his t-shirt says that's a good house guest though at least he wasn't taking the piss you know yeah (laughs) they were charming they were funny they were really respectful Mm. um and, and it was strange i mean Obviously, I wasn't married very long, but I think for most of my married life, they were there. Yeah, it, wow. It was weird. I was obviously a very tolerant woman back then. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> that sort of um, aligns with what you were saying about how, you know, music has been a huge part of your life. Um, and, you know, the Manics lived in your house. Is, is it hard <laughs> to not have, well, to, to almost never have a break from music? Or is it, purely sort of you know you do love it that much that it's not an issue for you I think think for me bringing my work home would be unbearable yeah I mean today I wouldn't do that today I wouldn't invite you know I manage a little band out of Wales they wouldn't come and live with me as much as I love them I think back then (laughs) I was 25 I mean I Richie was probably only a couple of years younger than me and it was just a it was just such a natural thing to do I wouldn't do it now Mm-hmm. But I think maybe when we're younger, we don't overthink things like we do today. And it was yeah. practical. Philip really, really believed in them. And, you know, I believed in him. And it was unshakable. And it was it was practical. It saved him money. Because we did put money into this band before they were signed. Yeah. yeah, have yeah. Them. I mean, we got married in 1990. And I think they moved in soon after. And Ger- Generation Terrorist didn't come out till 92. Mm. So you know there was and and inside of that sort of living with us and you know they'd they'd be 
it'd be, it'd be like a cottage industry. In the evening, they'd be on the sofa, I'd be in the kitchen cooking, and they'd be spray painting T-shirts and preparing. I'd be <laughs> running, I remember running down to Shepherd's Bush Market and buying a load of gold lame material to throw over amps, oh, nice. a marquee gig or something. So we were a little tiny cottage industry. It was kind of great. I don't remember any kind of bad arguments or anything. I mean, as I say, I would shout if someone put the eggs back in the fridge and there were no eggs in the egg box. So <laughs> the there was one night we did have to knock the bathroom door down with Richie, which was a, and I got furious with them. Yeah, it was like one in the morning, I could hear the tank going. And I said to Philip, that band, they sit around all fucking day doing nothing. <laughs> one in the morning, they decide to have a fucking bath. <laughs> downstairs and I can hear like a trickle in the, in the bathroom and the doors locked with the lights on. And I'm like, I run upstairs and went, if you're, I knew it was Richie. I knew it would be Richie. <laughs> and I was like, if he's going to do a Jim Morrison in my bath, we're divorcing right now. <laughs> oh, and the rest of the band would creep down the stairs. I think James shoulders the door in. And I think Richie had been brushing his teeth and collapsed. And, and, uh, and it was just, you know, oh, hi, evening. And it was like, right, tomorrow you fix that fucking lock. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, the next day I was sort of getting ready. For, it was the end of the day. I'd come home from work. I was in the kitchen and the doorbell rings and they all had keys. And there they were on the doorstep sort of grinning sheepishly. <laughs> going, we didn't know whether to kick the door in or open it with our keys. <laughs> they were just so embarrassed and nervous that I'd be furious again that they rang on the door and politely sort of asked to be allowed in again. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the only kind of, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just, that was kind of the beginning of my marriage. That was it. That was, you know. That is such an investment of, you know, uh, like time and, <coughs> and like, and faith. And how, sanity. <laughs> and sanity. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like uh, how sure were you that, that this was going to work and that, and that was going to pay, pay dividends philip was i i thought they were a bit of a mess live if i'm being honest <laughs> oh they absolutely some were of, like, some of the yeah. early gig although i did one night come home from a gig and i was like do you know what that singer that guy who writes james his melodies there's something extraordinary mm. in you know we were coming out of sort of shoegazing time into sort of baggy into yeah. brit pop and they were really out of sync with everything but there was something so strong about his melody and obviously the performance. I know everybody talks about the toxic twins and it was Nick and Richie, but, but to me at the time, it was like, Christ, James Dean Bradfield really has something. So yeah, it was Philip totally believed. And I, you know, I speak to people afterwards. I think Philip rang an accountant and said, would you like to get involved in a band from Wales? You won't see any money for five or 10 years, but I believe that. <laughs> Well, and he was fucking right. Wow. He was so yeah, on money. That paid off. It really did. Into '96, it, everything went boom. Yeah. James still owes me an awful lot of rent, though. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got it back. <laughs> and not to charge them. <laughs> you know, how some people see, you know, see their favorite bands as like superhuman gods don't think think of them as real people this is a real humanizing set of stories here about yeah this. i know nick will hate me for some yeah. you know a bunch of guys just being being slightly annoying guests in a house yes <laughs> for goodness sake james dean bradfield put the toilet seat down <laughs> i love that sorry folks yeah they're real <laughs> i've i've had that recently with um with with nick cave who is such like a an otherworldly figure to me uh he he may as well be like 
uh, a shapeshifter or a demon. <laughs> I, I live quite close to him and I used to work very near to where he lived to the, uh, to the point where we shared a cafe and I'd see him in the cafe all the time and he would order pano raisins and he'd ask that they save him a pano raisin every day in case he got there late and it was just completely shattered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, this horrible dark figure, Nick Cave, uh, eating a pano raisin. I know. It's not it, what you want from your goth king, really. It, it, I kind it, of love that. People are on stage at 9x in a tiara and loads of makeup. And then, you know, the next day they're sort of, you know, hoovering. But they were, I mean, they were real lovely working class boys from the valleys who were yeah. respectful and, I, and they were home birds as well i think all their parents used to write to me going oh thank you so much for looking after our boys oh, that's so i think they, they kind of needed that you know because i think they had this sort of fear of the industry they thought everyone was out to get them and they didn't quite understand mm. the industry so you know the, the idea of a manager with a big cigar and a, and a, and a you know a coat ripping them off you know, it, it, I think that's probably why they went for Philip because he was real human. And well, this, when, whenever I've heard any of them talk about um, about Philip, uh, there's just like you can get that sense of like enormous connection and gratitude from the band about the leap of faith that he kind of that he took, and and you both took. And um, I mean, you know, even so far as I mean, James has written at, at least one song about Philip, hasn't he? Yeah. That he put on his um he put yeah on the solo, solo album. album and actually yeah. there is a song called Askew Road there is yeah um, but I've only I've only ever heard it once I don't think I could cope with it at all I, I yeah. barely got to the end so I, that's not on my list <laughs> yeah that's quite a weird one it's got a <laughs> where uh, was Askew Road was it a B side or it was a B side on the uh, in the lifeblood I love that I'm asking like... you that <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it might have been on like disc two of empty souls if I if you had to push me for an answer but it was definitely around lifeblood and it's quite slow and ambient and features a voice oh clip, yeah features a voice clip of Richie as well yeah that just killed me at the end when that came in I think it came mm. in the office and I it, I couldn't play it for days and then I put it on and it was like okay everybody turn it off I can't hear yeah yeah, I mean it's. Um, I mean, yeah, it it it's it's a difficult subject, but I guess we were always sort of destined to talk about it. Is is how much of the Manic's career is sort of coloured and and a little bit defined by loss. Um, the the first of which was uh, the loss of of Philip, um, yeah. who, who passed away to cancer, really yeah. really tragically, very young, um, and I think you know it was it, that was very difficult for them to deal with i mean christ knows how difficult it was for you to deal with yeah. um like how much of their career do you think is defined by that loss and then also the loss of of one of their members i think a lot of it and i think it's only on on sort of later albums i mean for instance lifeblood is a, is in my little list or some tracks from lifeblood mm. and i think it's only so. it's only mm-hmm. kind of them there they dealt with it because there's this kind of myth that you know at the height of the Manic's success their manager was diagnosed with cancer and died that isn't true Philip was diagnosed in 91 they were living mm-hmm. with their manager who was living with cancer so it was completely stitched in and I don't I think once he died you know that loss on top of Richie's loss then that eventually seeped in 
to the music and it's evidenced on this is my truth it's really there i think in lifeblood i think that's when they really deal with it um mm. yeah lifeblood is 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 the sound of them uh like you say dealing with it or, or coming to terms with it yeah. i think yeah there's a lot of um uh, memories and ghosts i think is what we said on the episode yeah on that. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. an awful lot of that um you know because design for life i think you know i think when that came along after after all of those losses everyone was sort of searching in the lyrics for some messages about that i mean a lot yeah. of design for life yeah, sure. there anyway so um so i think that was their sort of brushing off the the sort of the darkness of the Holy Bible and wanting to put strings on things and wanting to come back and be euphoric and be big and sort mm. of realize that ambition for real. Cause I think <laughs> in the midst of the Holy Bible with Richie's lyrics increasingly kind of seeping into the record, Nick kind of withdrew a bit and it yeah. sort of becomes almost Richie's album. It almost becomes Richie's sort of suicide note for the band, not for him. I might say, I think it was his sort of resignation letter because how a record company held on to them after the Holy Bible is, is a real testament <laughs> to Tony and Rod Springer and obviously Philip and Martin's relationship with them. But, but so loss has been stitched into their career from day one. Because as I say, we got married in 1990. I can't remember how soon after they moved in. And it was toward the end of 91 that, that Philip got the terrible news that he had cancer, even though... I don't think the band realised how bad it was. And I kind of lied a bit and said he'd be fine. And, you know, mm. um, so yeah, they lived with it from the beginning. I think when you read articles, they were like, you know, at the height of their career, this happened to them. It didn't. So you'd have to ask them how, how it was living with Philip at the time being ill. I mean, for the first year, you didn't notice and Philip was still very actively involved. And I think uh, towards maybe the second year I decided it was time for me and Philip to be alone again and let Philip deal with it. Mm. But he was in New York with them and he'd lost his hair and, you know, he'd had chemo. And so he was still very active in their life. But I think it's sort of in the last year, it sort of it came down to me saying, look, you have to go now and we have to deal with this by ourselves. And, yeah. and, and, then, and then the sort of little gang disbanded. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's been with them probably since day one. And then I think the sort of the decline of Richie, Richie's sort of mental well-being, that's been with them um, since day one. So, uh, you know, you can imagine a design for life was such a fucking release for them. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of seen, um, like, like, like you were saying, like I think people look at everything must go and try and find all these coded messages about loss or disappearance or anything like that. But actually, I've always seen Everything Must Go as a very defiant album. Yeah. It kind of, kind of stands in the face of that. And yeah, almost, I mean, it's saying, almost doesn't address you know, it at all. It, it's even asking, I hope you can forgive us, but we're, we're moving on. Because there was yeah. a lot, you know, around the time of the band deciding to come back, there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, like, real, real, real Manix fans who just thought it was awful that they would continue and still use the name and yeah, yeah, carry on yeah. without Richie. And they, and they had to deal with an awful lot of that. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, a record where they sort of breathed again, it, you know. Yeah, definitely, for sure. It definitely sounds like a release. And then This Is My Truth seems to be them sort of, for the first time, uh, 
like coming to terms with themselves uh, you know we've talked at length that it's it's about it's it's quite a welsh album and them sort yeah. of rediscovering that part of themselves and then like as you said like lifeblood is them maybe fully coming to terms with those sort yeah. of periods of tragedy and loss but in the middle there <laughs> uh, is um is know your enemy yeah yeah now so this is my truth like an unbelievably successful album it's like what is it it's like five times platinum right yes it's, it's absolutely insane how successful that album was and the reach that it had uh, especially in the uk and europe and then they made <laughs> then they made know your enemy mm. which has always seemed to me to be a deliberately destructive move. I don't know if you would agree with that or not, Terry. Possibly. I also think it's, it's, it's one of those records. And if you look at the timeline, the whole of the 90s was a sort of, you know, a band on the up and a band that each album became more and more successful. So that, that decade before was, I mean, it was sort of crazy, mad, glamorous, you know, tragic in terms of the losses. And then they get to the other side of it. I think after the Millennium Eve shows, they should have had a holiday. They should have really taken the time <laughs> out. I think, you know, their output, they're a very prolific band. Look at the sort of, you know, it was nearly every year they had a record. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at some point, and hindsight is a great thing, of course, someone should have said, do you know what, go away to the Caribbean or a caravan in Tenby, whichever you choose. I reckon it would be the second one. <laughs> and I, I think, I'm not saying we should scratch it off their, their catalogue because there's great moments on it. And of course, remember James was going, James's first attempt at, at lyrics was Ocean Spray. So there's moments yeah. on it mm. um, where then he had to deal with his mother. So I think that band should have just, maybe gone away or, or, or sort of edited it better. I mean, it was very indulgent 16 track album. Yeah. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite Manics albums. I will Just say that any, any time they've had any time off, they've made solo albums. So yeah, it's not like even then up. they've had, <laughs> I mean, you know, in the midst, remember when Richie went missing, you know, James was producing bands because he just, they can't sit on their ass. Can they? Yeah. They can't sit on their hands. They're always doing something. And, if they're not doing something, they're writing. I mean, God knows what Nick's preparing for us next in the current oh. time. You know, <laughs> if white America told the truth, its world will fall apart. Christ knows what's coming in, in the <laughs> shadow of Trump and COVID and Brexit. I almost that, can't wait for the next album. Oh, and it's be an funny, there was a lot of journalists when I was working with them and we travel around and you know, one would love them and one might sort of like them. But he said, I always sort of go along to find out what I should be reading next. So they would do that kind of band. I think John Harris, who now works at The Guardian, was like, I, I need to check with Richie for my next sort of reading list. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so Know Your Enemy was sort of, you know, there were great moments on it and, and the ambition on it. And I think there was a lot of confusion. Isn't that sort of the time when they went to Cuba and they were really <laughs> single. Yeah. I think it was probably yeah. a time when, you know, without speaking out of town, I did argue with the record label that we were just doing too much, you know, mm. two singles, mm. Cuba, uh, you know, it was too much pressure. But then yeah, without that indulgence, you wouldn't have had Miss Europa Disco Dancer. Uh, which is... Which is their best yeah. song. I mean, I'm, I, not, I'm not... My favourite Manic song. There's fucking great tracks on the album. Yeah. Sure, but... but when I think about, you know, when you immediately think about the Manics, I think about the Holy Bible and I think about everything must go. 
Um, yeah. They're my first. And, and it's funny to delving into this, I discovered that Generation Terrorist is like huge. And obviously it's a huge part of my life because it is the soundtrack to my marriage almost. And that's yeah. Um, but yeah, Know Your Enemy, the, it, brilliant moments on it, but but too long, yeah. you know, whoever thought, uh, you know. And then they went back to Lifeblood. Then they went on to Lifeblood, which was much more simple and just them sort of taking their foot off the gas and not trying too hard. And, and I think it really worked for all those reasons. That whole period is, is like you say, like they're incredibly prolific and they're constantly trying new things in, in that sort of, from like 96 to 2004 they released four albums that are all like wildly different yeah in you know in in the wake of losing one of their band members um from a from like a, this is probably a very boring question uh, from a pr perspective <laughs> how difficult is it to kind of to kind of sell a band that are that changeable it was never difficult selling the Manic Street Preachers, actually. I mean, I, Philip will obviously have a different story because I, mm. I didn't get involved till everything must go. So, you know, I had a sort of, you know, I was gifted with a great record to start with. Mm. Um, but whether or not journalists were fans, they loved the band and they were the best interviewees. And oh, they, they did good quotes. quotes. Yeah. So you never had to really sell a record in. Every now and then someone might... I think one of my biggest rows, weirdly with an editor was about lifeblood because I was just fucking furious. I think Q gave it a kicking. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I yeah. I'm, wasn't that kind of PR who would be so precious that you couldn't say something bad about one of my acts or something on, on our roster. But, but that one in particular, I don't know. I was so sore about it that it was just completely dismissive. Yeah, that's actually we we had um, we had Greg Haver on. We've had Greg Haver on a couple of times. Who obviously produced Lifeblood, and he brought yeah. up the Q uh, review as well. Did he? Um, yeah, that's <laughs> obviously like sat uh, with people involved in that album. Um, was well, it like a it, three or something out of ten? Was that right or something, or even like a twenty or something insane? They wasn't they it? called it like uh, dreadful. And, and it was yeah, like, yeah. They're a bit miserable. That's why we kind of love them. Big <laughs> 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 yeah. melancholy, definitely. That's his. That's his biggest thing yeah. but yeah, it's, it's strange but but selling the manics no because every time they delivered an album it wasn't just an album it had a story to go with it it mm. had a narrative that was already there it had a great sleeve it had a great guest artist on it i mean they, they would they would just joy i mean some albums some bands give you an album and there's no meat on the bones so you know, whether it's postcards and there's a picture of Tim Roth on the cover and there's, you know, a g brilliant guests on it. They would just dream albums to do. You know, not everybody's cup of tea, but I think most journalists love them as people, love their intellect, love their story. Um, and, and, you know, if they love the music, then it was a bonus. But, but you know, you didn't struggle to get the Manix Press, to be honest. Not that I'm, yeah, I suppose that's true. Not actually. that I'm going to dent down my job, but... <laughs> <laughs> the bus was driving itself, basically. Yeah, that's what you're saying. yeah a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, no, you're, you're completely right, actually. Like, thinking about, like, even albums that I'm not particularly fussed about from the Manix career get great, like, reviews from journalists, and a lot of that is to do with the context that, like, yeah. there is no other band kind of like them in regards to like literary references and the influences yeah. that they're drawing from and just that sort of 
that uh, desire to be one of the weirdest rock bands uh, yeah. in Britain. <laughs> like they're just so odd, I suppose. Which yeah, is great. From they a, are kind of contrary journalist perspective. As you just said, Adam, they they will come off the back of that sort of great decade in the nineties or toward the end of it and those albums, and then throw a hand grenade at it and and you know, yeah. You know, I really like I like that yeah. self destructive nature yeah. that they have, and you know. Um, we've already mentioned the Holy Bible, which is just like this bizarre, like black hole in their career for me. It's such like a monolithic piece of art, if I want to get pretentious about it. And I do very often. Um, <laughs> well, they're but, pretty pretentious. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the, the idea that they would like, you know, I've heard stories that like off the back of gold against the soul, they were, you know, potentially going to be, dropped by the record label or there were conversations around that maybe gold against soul wasn't as, as successful as they wanted it to be and then their reaction to that was to double down and create one of the least sort of produced bleakest albums that that you know that had come out in sort of recent memory around that time that's a very interesting uh response to that situation it's one of the things i love about the manics is that, that yeah. they're very reliable in their uh, ability to uh wrong foot the audience yeah yeah and they have with me like that's one thing that i've been very impressed with whether i've not enjoyed an album or i've really enjoyed it is that my discovery along just doing this podcast is that i'm constantly surprised by the next album i'm like oh I, okay i didn't expect the manics to do that and um it's been it's been really fun actually like because they could have just done this is my truth and then just gone okay well that that did very well everything must go that did very well let's just let's just do that because it was successful but no it's uh it's been really interesting to see what they do next and i'm constantly surprised um like spoilers ahead for anyone listening we're currently listening to futurology and fucking hell (laughs) like yeah like, I think they never they never get too comfortable, do they? And I yeah. don't think they make their audience that comfortable either. So, you know, just when you're sort of in that design for life into everything must go, then, you know, I, and they never sit back on their laurels either. And, and they're just a curious mm. band. They, mm. They'll find they a subject matter yeah. and they'll frame <laughs> the music. They are what, sorry? They're weirdos, definitely. <laughs> um, I just think they're quite ordinary people but they're just curious so i'd love to know what the next record's going to bring for us yeah yeah i'm i'm so glad i was surprised well i mean i'm saying this like we're done we're not quite done yet but if it just been what i imagined the manics to be start to finish which is when i came on board with this i was like oh it's that band that does design for life i get to listen i get to listen to a career's worth of that and it's not (laughs) it's not with that at all yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's been... so I guess there was a lot of people who who did think, you know, at the height of this is my truth that they were a three piece and their biggest hit was Everything Must Go and that's when it all began and and didn't know that the history of. I mean, I kind of yeah. some of the audience members, you know, when you go along to hear and sing a Design for Life and hug your mates and get pissed, mm. that suddenly they start walking abortion or something. Or, yeah, yeah, or the, yeah. You I mean the audience was so strange because you had that what they now call the cult of Richie at the front. And then you had yep. the sort of eyeliner and you had the thing. And then you had the sort of, the normal sort of punter at the back who just loved everything must go. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it would, it, I wonder what they thought of 
you know, half of it. And like repeat after me, fuck Queen and Country comes on. It's like, what is this? <laughs> is is there another band uh kind of working today that that has that? Um well, I guess that kind of working class ethic, that sort of intelligent political, I guess idols, kind of, a bit controversial, yes. entertaining, a bit, you know, on the edge, a bit, you know, don't give a fuck whether they're, you know, why can't they run around in their underpants on stage? Yes, yes. They might yes. be closer to it. Um, but they have yet to have their sort of uh, populist everything must go period. You know, like yeah. I'm wondering if there's if there's another band that has su- such a distinct um, division in fans. Yeah. Mm. Uh, oh God, I don't know. Yeah. You know that. Putting, putting everyone on the spot. Now. Yeah, I'm really trying to write my brain. I mean, I mean, I I know about four bands, so probably not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, who do you think? Who else? So maybe Idols. Maybe there aren't many great bands. I mean, it, I always sort of have a little rant about where are, where is the clash now? Where is Jerry Dammers? Where are the bands who are fucking pissed off right yeah. now? Yeah. And, and, it would, it is, and I think idols, idols do fill that yeah. void and, and me and Adam, are, me and Adam are big fans and we've, we've done a little, there's an idols podcast and we've, you know, we've guested on that and they've guested on this and we talk about, we actually even went into a kind of comparison between the two bands, didn't we Adam? Um, and yeah. Lucas was on that one, but yeah, it was yeah. a, yeah that was fun but yeah there's, there's we no, saw... look at what's going on in the world and and, and listen to the chart, listen to the radio and it's kind of you know where's joe strummer where's ghost town where's the specials where's you know i suppose the idols have i guess stormzy is yeah, sort of yep, that yep. Type of person, um in sort of being observational that working class ethic that saying it like it is i guess he would be close to that you know is it just that that stuff doesn't sell as much anymore, perhaps, that those bands just aren't getting well-known in the way that they maybe would have in the past? Well, I think Stormzy's selling, and I think... Yeah, I maybe, maybe, maybe he might have sold a few. Maybe he sold a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I think some people kind of think that sort of mixing politics and, and rock and roll is a bit naff. It's never been that for the band. They were defiant within that. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's a record company sort of knocking it out of them and saying, look, listen to the radio and write your music in a Bunsen burner and there's the format. And I, I like the way that idols have sort of gone against that because I remember idols sort of bubbling under and record companies were like, they're never going to sell. And they did. And hats off to them. Thank God. I hope yeah, they've really connected on that. I hope they sort of encourage another sort of generation of themselves to, to sort of have something to say and, and you know, yeah. don't fit into the sort of formula. I think that was one of me and Adam's um, sort of biggest surprises from that Glastonbury performance when we were there and we're standing watching an angry sort of passionate punk band and then we were crying. It was a very strange experience, wasn't it? But it was wonderful. Um, yeah, they just kind of hit on that emotional level that I think a lot of, uh, a lot of that music sometimes doesn't. Um, it, it's interesting that idols are the ones that have broken through. Actually, there must be some kind of deeper connection that that people are feeling with them. Yeah. Um, would Would the Manics be successful? Let's say the Manics are a new band now. Did do they do they get to the same success that they did in the nineties? Goodness, I was just thinking that. I I, I don't know because I, I I think it's all about numbers now and yeah. algorithms and you know, Motown Junk was probably one of the most talked about singles 
around at that time. And it hit the charts at 82, yeah. or 92. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, this is insane, because it just did so badly in sort of chart success. But the press around, I mean, they did have a sort of built-in PR as a manager. I think if a band were out now and, and did those kind of, because the Manics didn't really break till the third album, they wouldn't have survived in terms of holding on to their record deal. Yeah, um, bands do not get the chance to yeah. kind of no. do three very stylistically different records or, or even do a second record if the first one doesn't sell. No. Also, just even yeah. more simply, I think bands don't get as big anymore. Like, guitar rock doesn't yeah. get as big anymore. No, yeah, it's not, isn't it? I don't think bands really get big yeah. anymore. Yeah. No, I think you look at Spotify playlists. There aren't many sort of rock playlists. You know, there's everything chill out Sunday and this and that, and they don't fit into a lot of of those little sort of you know boxes. Yeah. So if the Manics were out today, I don't know. They'd probably struggle. I don't think they'd have a record deal. That you know, they probably yeah. would be. You would be dropped. I mean, there's a lot of bands you hear about, and there's a big flair about them and they release two singles and it doesn't do well and they don't even get to the album so yeah. i think again you know going back to rob stringer and the label and and philip and martin hall and michael who manage them now and their own sort of dogged working class ethic and work ethic um yeah that's kind of sad isn't it that, do, you, you know, do you think that's to do with sort of do you know what? I was going to ask a question about whether or not that's to do with uh, the way the industry works now or whether or not it's to do with the audience appetite for that kind of thing. But actually, they're probably both interlinked, aren't they? Yeah, I think the industry dictates what's there, you know, and you listen to the radio and, and you just, a band will come along and you just think, well, you're not going to get anywhere because where are you going to sit in that? Yeah. I mean, it could be that the Manics, you know, a band like the Cortinas, for example, <laughs> they tend to sort of go direct to an audience. They have massive numbers. They sell 50,000 capacity gigs. They sort of do it on their own. I mean, yes, they have sort of labels, but, but you know, very small labels that sort of back them. So, you know, maybe the Manics would have gone down that route. So bands do survive and they can make a living. But within a record company, you know, the first thing you do when you talk to an A&R man or a publisher is, you know, what are your Spotify numbers? And, yeah. you know, get Sean Moore started on Spotify numbers. <laughs> you know, I think the last conversation I had with him was him moaning, what the fuck does it mean anyway? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> There's also so much that a new band now has to kind of do themselves before they'll even get a look in at sort of management companies or whatever. Like you said, oh. Spotify numbers at one point it was Facebook followers and all of that sort of stuff yeah whereas I always think of bands like from the beginning of the 90s like the Manics or I, I often think of Radiohead who had kind of done uh like six gigs uh and had creep in their back pocket and were offered yeah. like a six album deal at EMI <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is just absolutely insane to think about now. the 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 only The only band I can think of in recent memory is Arctic Monkeys, and that's fourteen years ago. Yeah, yeah, they still feel new, but that's just because we've just we've just gotten older. It, yeah, it, which it feels like it was recent, but it wasn't anymore. They're, yeah, they're they're a great band, but I was at probably a few of those Radiohead gigs, and there were probably only four people at them. <laughs> and amazing, amazing. Um, but. But that's yeah. when A&R was about sort of, oh, I can see the talent in this band rather than I can see how many people already like this band. 
yeah but in terms of what you were saying earlier about you know bands have to do so much now i think the manics probably would have survived because they were as i said they were a cottage industry they had a great manager a built-in pr in that manager um and they did a lot of it themselves so i think if they were starting out now, Richie probably or Sean would have been on top of the social media site. Can you imagine if Richie had access to social media back oh my then? God. Imagine him on Twitter. Where we just couldn't stop him. Where we'd mm. in the morning, we'd be like Trump aides going, fuck, what have we done yeah. now? He'd be, he'd be cancelled so yeah. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think probably if you let Nick loose on it as well, I think probably Nick does a lot of stuff. But, but yeah, if you'd given Richie access back then to that where, you know, in three in the morning when he was a bit pissed, you know, Christ knows what he'd come up with. But I think he probably would have survived because they were very, they were very together, you know, in in terms of their own merch and their their sort of message. And so they probably would have survived in a way. Yeah. Maybe get that great record deal and maybe do what bands like the Cortinas do. They probably sell in big numbers and they go direct to their audience. Mm. So yeah, yeah, they probably would have survived, but not without, they wouldn't have made great videos because financially you may not be able to afford the kind of production they had. And they've made some amazing videos. They really have. Yeah, some of their videos. Are <laughs> we're we're going to do an episode on all of their videos, actually. We're going to watch them all back to back. That's going to be so, so long. Be, yeah, that's <laughs> going to be a fun Fine. afternoon. No. <laughs> when does it end for you three? <laughs> uh, the, well, well, at the end of the year, actually. <laughs> uh. We're yeah. pretty much coming up. We've got like we've we've got futurology and we've got resistance is futile, and that's it. And then it's all just sort of wrapping stuff up. Yeah, actually, it's not on my list, but that is that was a great record. That was a great record. Which one? Resistance is futile. That's an yeah. That's an interesting record. Uh, when we were talking like... earlier about, I wonder what they'll do in the face of Trump and Brexit and everything. That album was in the face of of Trump and Brexit. That was twenty eighteen, right? So it's, I think that is a taste. I think they will actually shy away from some of that stuff rather than try and make statements. Well, there was a quote recently, I think, from either the band or James saying that um, making records about lockdown is kind of rubbing salt into the wound. Like you you, you probably shouldn't shouldn't write about, I don't know, I saw saw that recently. I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, like like art should be a bit more about celebrating. I don't know. I don't know. But I just thought I re- re- literally read that on Twitter like two days ago. But... I mean, they've actually written a lot of this before, haven't they? They've written about the International Brigade. They've written about the far right. They've written about war veterans. They, you know, they've kind of done a lot of what we're living through now. I mean, in, in a way, they kind of, you know, they were ahead of their time, really. If one Although... told the truth, I mean, come on, it's like. Yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot of songs that were written in the '90s by the band that were on older albums that ring so true today. It's kind of um, upsetting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. um, what do you think their legacy will be ultimately? I think that you know the kind of. I think they're the great outsiders. They're the master of subversion, really. They're that you know how they've managed to get a nation singing along about working class rage or international brigade or that beautiful mess of politics and sex and glamour and hate and desire. Um, so I think they, you know, that's, that's one thing. This is like great intellectual working class bands, you know, libraries gave us power. It's like, you know, we'll be put over their studio in, in Wales, but also they were really brave band. Um, 
you know, we're, t- we're talking earlier about not fitting into the norm. Mm. You know, they came out, they grew They've up never in been fashionable. No, God, I mean, <laughs> all or nothing, we, you know, at the height of Britpop, our bands were just not sexy. We had the Manics and we had Radiohead. Radiohead had a very, very <laughs> different relationship with the press. I mean, it, it wasn't until the War Child track they gave us Lucky that, that Enemy would even consider them. Yeah. And the press were really cruel to them. So they, they, so they come out of the minor strike, which is like a fucking war zone anyway. Um, and in very masculine community as well. And they walk around in like Kylie t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> but I think brave, you know, brave and brazen, just, you know, how in the middle of that post-shoegazing, baggy, pre-Britpop, they were jumping around on top of the pops in terrorist masks and, <laughs> you know. And then and dignified, I think, you know, coming into everything must go, how they handle themselves, how they didn't lick their wounds too much about that. Mm. Um, and and they're just great songs like Timeless, you know. Yeah, like, that, yeah, they do have. For me, they were like, tracks that were so out of sync with the Zeitgeist at the time, and now classics, Design for Life, If You Tolerate This, Australia. They just sort of come into the, you know, thirty years on from Motown Junk, and we're still discussing their legacy and their songs in detail. And so, yeah, I think they they are one of the most important bands we produced in this country. And I think Richie called it early on. He always thought, he always knew. He was very casual in the beginning, Richie. He, he knew he'd get a record deal. He knew he'd get a manager. He knew they were hmm. the best band around. Um, and they were that, just getting their message into the mainstream, speaking the truth. You know, they're two number ones, for example. Masses yeah. against classes. And if you tolerate this, your children, I mean, that's how they'll be remembered of like, you know, songs that mattered, but making them number one, which I guess was Nicky Wise's utter dream when he was starting out of just subverting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I definitely agree with this, the sentiment that they are one of the most important bands that we've produced, but that doesn't seem to be the sort of prevailing opinion in sort of mainstream music. The Manics don't kind of get a look in. No, but I think as, as years goes, go on and every time a magazine do a top 50 albums you should own, I think they're going to seep into those more and more. Like the Holy Bible is quite present in a lot of those lists now. I think is, yeah. everything must go might be in those lists now when, you know, each time they sort of, you know, they, you know, rejig the algorithm. I think the Manics will, will have a place that I think they'll grow in terms of that legacy in terms of, you know, what they've produced. And, and when you kind of collate all these songs and all these records, you know, it's huge. Their catalogue is amazing. Oh, yeah. it's absolutely insane. I think they need, like, they need one more sort of, like, defining record, and then I think they're set in sort of, like, the pantheon of, of rock music. It's a shame that they never really sort of broke America in the same way that, um, you know, like... Yeah. Oasis did or, or Muse have, you know, those. Yeah, well, they were a little responsible for that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And I um, think if they get older, they, they probably won't have the appetite for that. You know, they did, they, 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 they tried it a few times and they, they you know. They hey, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, they're a weird band. 
you know it, maybe they are too weird for certain markets but i think some something like spotify in the world we live in now where the shop never closes <laughs> and the and the stock never runs out i think it could be that they might find a bigger international audience that's true although know your enemy isn't on spotify in the us so oh isn't it oh, really please, please sort that out terry so we'll have a word very much ball, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised how many tweets we get about it as though we can do anything uh, about <laughs> about no your enemy not being on spotify yeah, yeah. I, I think these new sort of things we have in the industry you know the social media and and, and the way people approach music i think the manics will become bigger for that and their numbers are pretty good anyway uh for a band that started out in 1991 or whenever yeah normally yeah. a lot of bands from that era don't do so well but i think they'll catch up i think as each album comes they'll pick up fans and people get more curious about them and um they're gonna yeah, slide their way back into that pesky I, I think algorithm yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, Sean might be grumpy about all social media <laughs> stuff. But, well, Sean, yeah. Sean came back to Twitter to complain to Curry's about a fridge, I think. <laughs> but, uh, he did. That was quite famous. And he's gone, he's gone silent since then. I did yeah. see that. That is, that is him, isn't it? I, lo- yeah, I loved yeah. that so much. <laughs> what is, I mean, yeah, that just, that's, like, there's such a normalcy to this band. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Um, so you you have worked with them from is it on every album from like everything must go to postcards from a young man is that right yeah so i worked on yeah seven albums and then i did lipstick traces and i did and the best of national treasures was it oh yeah, yeah. national yeah. treasures and there's forever delayed in there somewhere as well yeah yes. yeah i'm i'm surprised at how many i i, I did yeah yeah that's that is incredible. And I what's, think I what's... consulted on Rewind the Film, but I don't think Gillian Porter, who now runs Fallen Nothing, really needed that. And then she carried on and did great. great. In fact, their press has been amazing in sort of the last few years, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would be remiss at this point to not mention how much I love the name Hall or Nothing, and I think it's the best pun I've ever heard. <laughs> and when Adam told us about the the name of that company, I loved that so much, and that's that's all I wanted to say. That's my bit. I've done it. Philip Hall was a bit of a mod revivalist, so <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, it is <laughs> so a good. good actually. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, so, yeah, nine albums I've say. worked. Yeah, that's that's uh that is insane actually mm-hmm. that's a, a a big chunk of their career what what is your sort of um uh relationship or working relationship with them now i well i don't really have a working relationship with now now i you know we're friends we are text buddies i think <laughs> every few months you'll get a call out of the blue from james at kind of random times you might just call to have a grump about something he mm. always calls to check in um, I was ill the last couple of years, so so they were really good at sort of keeping up to date. So probably James is the one I'm most in touch with. Nick obviously has had a lot of personal tragedy recently, so you know with his mother dying and stuff like that. So you know I send him little thinking of you notes, and he comes back and goes, "It's all fucking shit." <laughs> <laughs> so you know we're friends now. So you know I don't work with them anymore. Obviously. I am still the sister-in-law of their managers and we're sort of involved in a small way in business, but, but no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sort of outsider now. The, the idea of any of them texting is 
bizarre to me. <laughs> does Nikki does Nikki text and does he use numbers instead of words? So would he say like four? He texts does... without any kind of um, any stops. So it's oh, sort of oh, just, great. He texts like my dad. <laughs> it's pretty rambling. Well, I'm a I'm a bit of a tidy texter. I'm like full stops. I'm oh, yeah. yeah, full yeah. grammar. Like there's, yeah. there's no character limit anymore. We can we can yeah. what time to use full grammar now? Yeah. Commas and full stops probably don't come into it. He hasn't got time for that. So I love that. <laughs> but James does. But James is a caller. Bless him, James. Because you remember at the when Richie went missing. James came back to live with me in Askey Road. So, yeah. you know, James and I were real buddies. And James, James was an only child. He didn't have any sisters. So when I, when Philip died, I went traveling to Thailand and Vietnam. And, and when I came back, my sister moved in with me. Then when Richie went missing, I called Martin and said, look, it's probably not wise for James to be on his own in, I think he had a little flat in Notting Hill. And, you know, should we ask? Because at the time, the press were quite cruel to this band because they thought mm. that Richie's disappearance yeah. was a scam. Um, and what a load it, of nonsense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, truly. I mean, you know, people, you know, did think, you know, I mean, they also thought I broke John Squire's collarbone to get them out of Glastonbury. So <laughs> I think they thought I was a bit more of a scamster than I'm, I'm flattered that they thought I could come up with something so fucking crazy. <laughs> so, so James kind of lived with me again. So we did have, you know, we are, it's, it's like the sort of little brother I never wanted almost now, you know, that we, sort of, we talk about kids and, you know, cars and God knows what. Um, and I That's sent him so a note nice. about his, his last album, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah. Really good. Re really cool. Really good album. I, I like that yeah. album a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which kind of, uh, brings us to the end except for one thing which i've tasked you as i do all of our guests with uh, the very difficult task of trying to come up with a manic street preachers top 10 songs you know it's fucking impossible <laughs> and i feel really unfaithful to some albums because i'm sitting here thinking i've got there's well let's go through it and i'll just i can i, I can think. i know what you mean terry though when we we recently relitigated all of our scores because they are ever changing and we're constantly bickering and <laughs> i felt bad giving certain albums maybe a lower score because of a few songs that i felt i was betraying so yeah. know your enemy was the example where i gave know your enemy a fairly a fairly low score and but it's got it's got Mr. Oper Disco Dancer on it. And I was like, but that song's a ten out of ten though. And I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna betray my favourite manic song. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's strange because I, I I I kind of did my list very quickly and then when uh, last night I was listening back going, Oh fuck, there's absolutely nothing from This Is My Truth on my list, which is just weird. But then the entire album, I think if I could change it and just make all the albums one to ten and then we could just gloss over some of the tracks but i think because some of it i just don't know where you start with this is my truth i could just pick them all i just you know this is my truth is if you tolerate you know weirdly i'm surprised that it touches every nerve um yeah, and I, that... whilst everything was go was post philip and post richie this one being a few years later i think it really the reality of it all sort of kicked in on this and then i guess on lifeblood it, it, it's sort of much sadder i think yeah. So, yeah i feel like i'm really unfaithful and i've you know yeah I've it's actually really easy one Terry. and none on another and but it's just personal it's just some of them are very 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 personal and some of them just remind me of the 
you know, obviously a design for life and, and everything on that, uh, around that, you know, those tracks are, yeah. They're just... I, I, I suppose what, what we've done, when, when we've had to do top tens is uh, kind of, there's almost like a silent agreement that uh, we all agree that a design for life is, is great. And so we don't put it in the top 10. Although someone did. A couple, I think someone has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like, you know, a bad example because we all put it in our top 10. But like, I I would give you a pass if like Motorcycle Emptiness, A Design for Life, and If You Tolerate This aren't in your top 10 because they just are like omnipresent slices of great songs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're so, oh God. I mean, one of the hardest things I've done actually, picking 10 Manic's tracks. It's really easy, Terry. All you've got to do is spend a whole year going over their entire discography (laughs) in depth and talk about it for hours and hours on end and and listen to mine 12 Manic Street Preachers for an entire year. Uh, (laughs) It's easy when you do that. Just it's funny, the other day I was sort of doing my one of your lockdown walks and stuff and mm. and um Daughter of the River came on and I was like, Oh my mm. god. What a great oh, song. Yeah. Fucking song. hell, I forgot how brilliant that was. Beautiful. That, that song crested my top like, ten. Rewrite the list. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do do you have ten? I have a list. I'm I'm reluctant. I don't like you very much for it, but I do <laughs> I guess would be Motown Junk for me. Great, song. sure. And, 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 and that's the first junk, thing you worked on them with, right? It's, it, well, as I say, I didn't really get involved in Hall or Nothing until after Philip's death, but I used to work for a producer called Robin Miller, who you might know from everything but the girl and Sade. And I looked after a stable of engineers for him in a studio called the Power Plant in Wilsdon. And when Philip took the band on, he was like, we've got to make a record. How do I do that? So I was like, hey, bring them down to my studio, to the power plant, and I'll get one of my little engineers. And I, got, I had a little guy called Robin Evans, who hadn't really done much, but I, I liked him talking to him in my sort of initial interviews, because I was only in the job for six months. And I was like, why don't you produce this band? And it's, that's where they met Dave Ringer. Dave Ringer was the engineer, stroke tape up, stroke boy who ran out to make 17 cups of tea. Yeah. So, so the whole thing about, about that was just, and again, you know, I love the idea that it was the most talked about song of the time and it hit the chart at 92. <laughs> that, actually, I remember Robin Miller coming in the office one day and going, Heavenly Records, who are they? And I was like, well, they're one of the coolest labels around at the time. And he went, well, they've just bounced the check. <laughs> 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 I don't know whether Jeff Barrett ever got it back, but who cares? Because I said, look, trust me, it doesn't matter because this is a really cool band. That's a really cool label. And it's the kind of thing you want around your stable of producers to be right on the money with this up and coming band. So, you know, I love that. I love the, the sleeve, the clock, you know. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, 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 yeah. a statement of intent. Uh, and their sort of public single. enemy sample was just perfect because remember they always said, or Philip said, or they said, I can't remember, that they wanted to be, you know, the extreme politics of public enemy and, and the stadium ambition of Guns N' Roses. And I think yeah. it's perfect. It's and to have a song with I laughed when Lennon got shot on. I mean, mm. it's a statement, isn't it? It's something. No, but I mean, so, live, so. James doesn't sing it like that anymore, as you know. No. So no. I laughed. Uh. Let's everyone else fill <laughs> in the blanks. Everyone else. 
so number nine, are these in any particular order or are these just sort of... No, I'm just going to fire them out. I guess in, sort, cool. of, you know, in, in a sort of chronological order. Slash and mm -hmm. Burn is, is, is another one I love from Generation Terrorists. And what shocked me about doing a little bit of research last night for this is how how important Generation Terrorists is in my life. And, and I didn't realise it. You know, if anyone ever talked to me, they know I love the Holy Bible. They know I love everything that goes. But going back, how that record is completely stitched into my the soundtrack to my marriage, the whole of Askew Road, and everything on it. Um, you know, it's proper sort of glam rock, perfect kind of intro to them. And yeah. That, and, that, and Richie sort of wry observation about consumerism and the line Madonna drinks Coke, so you can too. I mean, he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> it's just, you know. And it's the intro to that album, isn't it? If I'm right, is that? Yeah, like, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I knew one of you would know this. But you know the video, the guitar riff. Just what's not to love about it? It's just fantastic. I, I'm I also really fascinated. It was like, oh my god! <laughs> but then on that album, there's Born to End. There's You Love Us. There's Little Baby Nothing. It's like, wow, you know. I'm I'm always fascinated by that idea of emotional context and how it affects uh, one's sort of listening to music. There are albums that I absolutely love that kind of aren't especially great albums, just because of where I was sort of in my life when they came out do you know what mm. i mean yeah i think that's that's my memory of a lot of them is just my mood you know mm. you know and, and just how sad you were and you know yeah how sad i was no, how sad we <laughs> ah, i see yeah, yeah. specifically <laughs> you well, not sad. <laughs> but, but yeah it's it, generation terrorists really shocked me in, in in sort of thinking about this you know the, the ambition of it. You know, it's, and then was, and then motorcycle emptiness appears on it. Yeah, which is yeah, fucking yeah. weird. So they were this band that everybody laughed at. There was a crazy punky political Welsh band who who put motorcycle emptiness on an album, which suddenly nodded to this is a band that really have a future because it 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 you know it's not born to end, is it? It it was just like fuck. It always that, surprises me that Motorcycle Emptiness is on their first album. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I'd, I'd forgotten that. And now... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm under fucking PR. Not only was a great song and, and a great video to boot, but it just marked the band out as something special. And, and, and that was the one that kind of reached that wider audience. That, that, you know, and it's still, it's still a fucking classic today. Which is crazy still. because also it was like wasn't it like the fourth or fifth single from that album like they didn't, no, I don't remember I that don't wasn't remember. what they like started their promotional thrust with on that album like I think it was like Stay Beautiful no, or I You Love they, Us I think didn't they do the video in Japan that yeah made? they I'm did yeah. I remember I was just plus one and Housewife Superstar at the time <laughs> <laughs> so, you know the, the sort of the timeline of all the singles I don't remember but but and Little Baby Nothing yeah I mean Generation Terrorists just shocked me last night because I was like, Jesus Christ, there's so much on it. So is, is this how you're uh, going to cheat the top ten then? <laughs> sort of I'll, just... I'll leave it slash and burn, but, but there's my nod to shift. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're doing exactly what Michael Sheen did when we had name, on, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. name a I song know. and then give two more like honourable mentions in every song. <laughs> he was inventing double A sides that didn't exist. <laughs> <Yeah. in>. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Adam won't stand for it. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has an iron fist. <laughs> I've sent Adam so many emails going, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I do the same. Yeah. Just for no reason. You just send him messages. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Adam. Sorry about the last record. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Slash and Bone. So then Latristes. Yes. yes. Another one that, you know, Gold Against the Soul, 93. Just just love it. Lyrically, you know, the quote from Van Gogh, you know, the sort of observation on the war veterans, patronising their misery. That's a cool just, riff just as beautiful, well. beautiful, beautiful track. Yeah. But then on Gold Against the Soul, Adam, <laughs> it's also like Roses in the Hospital was a real sort of oh, reason dear. that really brings me back to ASCII Road. It's, you know, From Despair to Where. <laughs> these are just add-ons. They're not... They're not yeah, no, yeah. Like, Adam, I'm trying to stick to the rules. I these promise. are in brackets, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of a little conversational, you know. <laughs> when you go up to, to get the bar to get a beer, you can add it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Latch's death is just beautiful. And, and there's a lot of people I know who aren't real big Manix fans. I don't think they are, but they cite that as one of their favourite Manix songs, along with sort mm. of the Divine for Life or something. So that passing mm. Manix fan will, you know, will have Motorcycle mm. or Latch's death from the Manix past in their, in their sort of faves without really well, realizing. La Tristesse has has that sort of uh, it's almost as close as they get around that time to a fashionable sound as well like yeah. it, it kind of sounded a little bit baggy I think is what a lot of the reviews were saying yeah. at the time because it has that sort of those drums in the background that are a little bit little bit Manchester just a little bit yeah. and they were big fans <laughs> of that scene actually I mean you know they were massive fans of Happy Mondays weren't they yeah yeah, yeah they, they loved Sean Ryder didn't they yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a gong there, Lucas? Was that? Did I get something right? I'd love that if he no, had a gong. I mean, I, we, I mean, I wish I could say yes, but in fact, it was a metal straw. <laughs> if, we, if we had a gong every time men- uh, Lucas mentioned Muse, that'd be brilliant. Who? I think Muse's press as well. I could come on and do a little bit about Muse, but, but, uh, but yeah. So yes, then please. I guess <laughs> uh, the Holy Bible, Faster and Yes, are just just my utter, utter, utter favourites. They are absolute bangers. I, I remember yeah. the first thing I got from the Mannix, uh, I got it as a Christmas present, I got Forever Delayed, uh, their, their Greatest Hits compilation. And it's a good Greatest Hits compilation. And then Faster is in the middle of it. And it's the only song on there from the Holy Bible. And I had no idea what hit me. <laughs> it it <laughs> like, really it. sticks out like a sore thumb in, in that... Uh, in, in in on that compilation this was like i was 14 i think right so that's like how old am i 31 you're 31 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what what brought you to the manix first then if that was a surprise to you um my dad had a mini disc player right Ooh, uh, and he created the future like you could <laughs> you couldn't like it was too expensive to go buy mini discs. So he had a bunch of blank mini discs that had like just compilations of stuff that he liked, just loads of uh, random sort of tracks put on. And I could you buy that. mini discs? You couldn't buy yeah, an album yeah. on mini disc, could you? Yeah, yeah. This is my truth was released on mini disc. I thought wow. mini disc was exclusively used for copying CDs onto, so you had it in a mildly more convenient format. No, no. no. I've never, I've never seen a a, a 
officially released album on a mini disc in my life. Only ever seen what you're describing. The press release in formats. (laughs) I believe you, Adam. (laughs) Look look forward to your Christmas present then, Lucas. Yes. Albums on mini discs. Chuck us a a Muse mini disc. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And on that mini disc was, if you tolerate this, your children will be next, The Design for Life, and You Stole the Sun from My Heart. Um, and I connected to all three of those and then uh, asked for the best of for Christmas. And yeah, it was all plain sailing oh. from there. Well, yeah. It's hard for me to sort of choose because I put faster and yes, I know that's cheeky. I guess it's faster, <laughs> probably. But I remember, yes, I remember the Japanese record company calling the office going, uh, can you just talk us through the lyrics on the <laughs> yeah. thing? And uh, then no. First line, and it's like, oh, God. Explain, explain <laughs> dumb cunts. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's like we were all sort of, sort of in bad. I think Gillian took the call, and they were like, can we just double check? Is this a typo? And we're like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> the whole album just, you know, it, it's just genius. It's like, you know, the, ho- the horror. It's like so impenetrable super intelligent Scary. and that and that sort of james on top of the pops in 94 it was just insane and exciting and kind of terrifying as well yeah yeah absolutely. i think you know someone said something like forcing the human race to look in the mirror and i think richie achieved that because it's it's not an album you put on every day you you know walking abortion isn't no, grow on to get the party going but it's not on the playlists that are labeled like lo-fi beats to study yeah. and relax to <laughs> i don't know adam's the sort of guy that will doesn't put... know which playlist these tracks go on they just yeah adam's the sort of guy who put on the intense humming of evil at a party though aren't you adam yeah, oh. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll have a nice relaxing bath while listening to Four Stone Seven Pounds. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> and that's just what I do with my spare time and that's yeah. okay. <laughs> but also I remember the, the gigs, you know, you know, there's nothing more exciting than James shouting who's responsible and an entire arena going, You fucking are. I mean, it was just fucking brilliant when you were at a gig and they played that. It yeah. was just, God, I you know, I love that. It was just a moment. That is the first song I ever heard them play live. No way. I went to the Past, Present, Future tour, and I've told this anecdote so many times on this podcast, but, you know, if people uh, aren't expecting me to repeat myself on this podcast, and I don't know why they're listening to it. uh, (laughs) Yeah, on the Past, Present, Future tour, they were, like, bringing out rarities and stuff, which I had no idea about, and they opened with Of Walking Abortion, uh, which was uh, very odd. And then they played a design for life second. And I was like, well, I Shit. might as well go home. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I knew at that point. <laughs> I was trying to come up with top, uh, 10 tracks. How hard would it, is it for the Mannix to come up with a set list for a gig? Yeah, it when must be. about walking abortion going into a design for life. How do you pace that set list? It must be so difficult now after what? Nine, ten, thirteen, whatever albums. Yeah, thirteen. You albums hit, you hit shuffle and play the first fifteen tracks that show up. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, like people, people complain, and and I'm to be honest, I'm one of them because I've been to like however many Manix gigs that they play a similar set list each time. At the same time, you know, they're a band that want to play the hits, and if you look at their set lists, there's not that much stuff that you can remove because you go like, oh, that's a hit. And that's yeah. a hit, and that's a hit, and that's a hit, and that's a hit. And yeah. yeah, and then you end up with just like, you know, they play 24 songs a night now. 
and they're all like well, that's a long set as well they're that? all hits like you know there's no yeah. downside the downside to being yeah. a long time mega fan of a band is when you see them, when you've seen them live 20 times you just what i just want to, you just want to go to b-side gigs that's all you now want to see yeah yeah exactly. because you've seen a design to life design for life 20 times yeah <laughs> but yeah they do throw it up now and then and then there's always a great cover in the middle of it and Mm, they are great. Yeah. I mean, one of my great memories was the Nine X gig, Nick in a Tiara. Yeah, and it was yeah, just like look. that moment of great success and kind of great sadness because you just wanted Philip and Richie to be there after all their mm. contribution. But yeah, if I think of the Manics, I think of that moment with Nick in a Tiara with that massive grin. Just yeah. fantastic. Oh, that's so, so that's my sort of holy bible moment okay cool wedged into, but i've actually gone with faster so okay okay and then in brackets, and then and then, yes. and then we come to sort of everything must go and I, i've got fucking four i've got a design for life everything must go the girl who wants to be god and one of my real ultimate life favorites is no surface all feeling oh yes yeah. oh that just, song that song does things yeah. to me yeah and, yes. and really you know just just you know, just again, I talk about the sort of sadness and the success and, and how we sort of tried to manage that or how they, I don't know how they did. You know, they obviously dreamt about playing arenas and stadiums and yet there's this fucking great big collective gap in their heart and a gap on the stage. And, you know, it must have, it must have been sort of heartbreaking, that tug of wanting to fall in and enjoy it. And then that's like guilt, perhaps. Yeah. You know, that you know, there's too many people. James said it once, it was like a Pyrrhic victory, you know. So we lost a few good men on the way. And the line that, that, that they talk about, it may have worked, but at what price? That's really kind of sad. Maybe richer, maybe wiser. But there's still a real longing to it. It's like, you know. So I'm going to make you all cry now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's given me uh, some like chills yeah. just thinking about so that, that song. Yeah. That is like a defining moment of, of that time and those gigs that was so exciting. You know, that band who you saw playing like 180 capacity gigs suddenly in arenas. And, and yeah. that was just, that was so vivid. It's so vivid. Wire in a tiara and, and, and that song is incredible for me. Yeah. And then Design for Life is just, you know, what of course. Said about yeah. a for life. Goes without yeah. saying. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, just, it's almost like people embrace them. You know, Richie kind of, Richie had sort of alienated the audience and the, and the, the remaining three members have sort of brought them back. You know, they even sort of, the whole project, you know, their toned down image, yeah. everything was just, you know, they were gunning for it and just how easy it came. And also some of the songs, again, when James returned to ASCII Road, um, he wrote a lot of it in ASCII Road. Nick sent the lyrics. And I think the first songs I heard, which really made me cry, because it kind of thought, well, there is a future and they will continue, I think was A Design for Life and The Girl Who Wanted to Be God. Which is why The Girl Who Wanted to Be God, I think it was in a very early stage, but I, I really kind of loved it. It sort of... You know, I mean, and some of the lyrics are a bit Richie as well, aren't they? So there's a little bit of Richie in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are still, uh, yeah, rights and he's credited with, I think, like five yeah. of the songs on there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I have a sort of pang of guilt because I remember very early on Philip, um, Richie asking me if, if Philip would be okay. And I, and I kind of knew the truth, but I lied and said, no, yes. 
he will be. So that kind of, you know, she told the truth and then she lied. It just, it gives me a pang of guilt about it now. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just, it really reminds me of Richie, that song. It really does. It really does. And then Everything Must Go, the actual song, Everything Must Go. And the band's plea to fans or Richie to just allow them to move on, you know, escape from my history, free from the memories. Yeah, you know. that's that's one of your favourites, right, Lucas? Yes. Hello, Lucas. Big time. Yeah, um, I, I I love that song so much. I almost forget that it's that it exists sometimes. Yeah, <clears throat> it, it, it's you know it, it's it's kind of up there with the d- a design for life for me. I think mm. you know, maybe I even prefer it just because you know the lyrical content and the euphoria of it and just the yeah. whole it's happy sad successful two fucking brits you know what's not to love about that yeah. album <laughs> I, I think i think lucas everything must go was the the top of your uh song top 10 right uh yeah or well it was spo- but spoilers but... for later but i keep saying yeah. that uh the uh for disco dance is my favorite manic song because i realized that i was wrong <laughs> oh, so, okay. So it well, must I be your that might second favourite. One of favorite, yeah. favorites, Lucas. I think he was quite proud of Miss Europa. You're a disco dancer. I'll get it right. Yeah, <laughs> because he's <laughs> obviously got some some common sense and knows. Yeah, so once <laughs> on the show, you can bond over that one. I might be wrong, but yeah. I'm sure he'll soon correct them. Oh, we would love to have James Dean Bradfield on the show, but um, I think it'd be all right having James on. Actually, wouldn't it? That would be, be fine. It'd be <laughs> yeah, it'd be we'd fine. be fine with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, everything must go. In... Yeah, it is, don't you? You've got you know Michael Sheen and Greg, so you're getting you've got Simon Price, so you're getting through. So mm. I think between between all none of us, the, none of them have got any email addresses, Terry. <laughs> 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 Maybe I could pose as like a Curry's engineer, like and just like and, and say, "Sean, I've got your fridge," and see what happens. And we should send them some very intense letters. <laughs> yeah, that's what we should we'll do. Just bombard I think they'll them. respect that. Yeah. yeah, I like how anyone who doesn't follow um, Sean's Twitter does has no idea about these constant references towards fridges, <laughs> curries, <laughs> and all the rest of it. <laughs> he was he was gadget man. I remember. I remember over the years, you know, before, you know, when even a mobile phone, I mean, Hall or Nothing had a mobile phone back in the day. Ooh, and when you ooh, left the company the phone, phone. <laughs> you yeah. Took, yeah, you did. Well, you took the phone with you. But Sean was Mr. Gadget Man. He bought everything. And yeah. Sean had a load of cars. He couldn't drive. He, he just, yeah. I just love him. I remember now, one, one now day he's got a lot of guns. Nick was like, Sean's got all these forms of communication, but no one's really contacting him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we'll Probably. go via Sean. You can DM him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so does we, that move us on to the this is? So so far, no, this no, this top this top ten is going to be. If you've already re- wait, how, is that? Have you reached number six? Did were all four of those from everything must numbers, go officially numbers counting? Are, numbers are irrelevant at this point. Oh, I see. We're using the Michael Sheen form of numbering again. <laughs> Michael Sheen, open the door for me. I will have you. You, Adam, you told me, so I've kind of, but I haven't. No, because those four from everything must go are within my ten. Ah, so they do oh. they are all within the so your top 10 is very front heavy so far in terms of the amount that you know we're only four albums in and you've already done i know six. yeah I, I have seen the top 10 and oh. 
it, yeah. We're, yeah, we're getting close to the end of, of the top ten. There's not a lot from the later career. No, Spoilies. I think I probably will have to sort of nod and apologise on this is my truth, but I just can't pick one. I, you know, if so you the whole album's going in the there. Sun, yeah, the whole album. Okay, I mean, cool. it won't because I don't want to go against the rules, Adam. Black Dog, you name it, but... I mean, but of all that, the ones to mention, at least Black Dog's the one that gets the honourable mention because that song's a banger. I it was really cool. A video of it. I didn't know there was a video. Um, is there? there? Yeah, there is something. I think they did it at the end of a BBC documentary. Oh, cool. And they, and they put <laughs> Black Dog on my shoulder, which was great. And then my last one, and we talked a lot about Lifeblood is Fragments. Yeah. And I could sort of put in brackets and Cardiff Afterlife, but... <laughs> to me, that is that Frag- album. Fragments never gets the nod when people talk about Lifeblood. I was going to say they're not. The, neither of those are songs that got a lot of the big. No, I mean people when we talk about, about Lifeblood, souls, won't they? Uh, I can people. I can see why that would stand out to you. It's really personal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really personal. I'm not. You know, if Greg Haver was sitting here, he'd tell me about the production or whatever. But it, it's it's just it's it's my little theory that this is the album where they really dealt with the loss and they dealt with the success and you know it probably should have followed the two big big albums it should have been the sort of the other side of the decade and the other side of the 90s and you know and it's not it's not even very manix but having said this you know no one does melancholy like Nicky Wire and James and, and I adore it you know it's it's that kind of belated reaction to everything mm. that happened to them, I think. Cardiff Afterlife being another one. Um, Repel Ghost, stuff like that. But I just, I love, I think it's beautiful. It's just... Yeah, we know. are all big and fans Tony of Scott Lifeblood on this. It, you know? We don't talk about Tony. I know it's all about Greg and David Ringer, but yeah, that was an interesting yeah. choice of producer. Definitely, definitely. He ended up doing a lot less than I think they thought he was going to, um, which I think is why they then got Greg in. Uh, I think that's what Greg was saying, right? Didn't Tony Visconti end up doing three tracks on like so he hit two and a half? I think it was two oh, yeah. fully him and one and one that was co basically. Yeah. Uh, so they I, yeah, oh. and I basically realised that my favourite ones lined up with the ones that Greg done, and, uh, <laughs> well, that was, and that's why me and Greg then became best friends and started our own podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So if you interview Tony Visconti, you can sort of weight it the other way then. Yeah, I'll just yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just <laughs> yeah, to me that is the record that 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 you know I think deals with you know death and loss and success in a, in a mm. beautiful sort of beautiful kind of melancholic way that that Nicky Wire just does so well. And and I James definitely agree. So well. Yeah, that is actually such a strong top. 10 uh what i what i usually do is i then put it into a spotify playlist that i'll then post on our twitter god like god knows what i'll put in i imagine i'll just put the whole this is my truth album in there yeah i've given you 10 i have have been (laughs) obedient no that's fine i'm just gonna put everything in that's a nice playlist (laughs) to listen to on their commute what the manix discography yeah good yeah 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 um, yeah, it is amazing. I mean, just doing press on a band like this is just career. I mean, you know, just incredible. I remember when I got them on the cover of The Face. That was that was an amazing moment. What is The Face? The Face magazine. I don't know what that is, Terry. Are you serious? If, Ad- if Adam doesn't know it, me and Steve definitely don't. <laughs> no, you- oh, yeah, I know. 
Yeah, sorry, I really don't know what the face is. Well, the face was really cool. I mean, it's back now in some That's why. online. But That's why I don't know what it is, because it's yeah. very cool. <laughs> very kind of, it was very high fashion. I think they put the Stone Roses on the cover as well, but in terms of the story of Baggy and... Um, right. So, so they weren't a magazine to put rock bands on the cover. Right. So, okay. you know, getting the, you know, doing, we talked about earlier doing press on the Mannix, the face cover, you know, it's a highlight, all the Q covers, of course. And um, yeah, they're just, they were just a joy to work on. It was amazing. That's very cool. I'm, I'm going to get tweets about my ignorance. I can, uh, I can sense <laughs> it already. Well, Google it. It's a lovely cover. And it just says the Kings of Rock, which is just like, you know. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that great? Yeah, look, okay. doing Guys, it I'm Googling it. Yeah, same. I, lost the PR, I lost the PR award that year to the Spice Girls, but they, that's okay. But I thought it was a great, yeah. a great campaign. But yeah, that's my kind of sort of Manic's top 10 for you. Guys, when you, when you search Manic Street Preachers, the face cover on Google, yeah. the top result is redbubble.com. Unfortunately, it's not our redbubble.com. <laughs> okay. and, it's, and it's Manic Street Preachers face masks. You can just buy... Uh, Manitrain oh, Preachers, cool. they've just all got different song names and stuff. So um, anyone wants to buy them, don't. There it is. Oh, there it is. I have seen that. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Look right. how handsome James is. Isn't that Sorry. Great? Actually, Sorry, that, yeah. yeah. That's a composite cover. I hate to sort of burst people's bubbles. But yeah, we had a photo uh, that didn't quite work. I think the face rolled a motorbike into the photo studio and James right. looked at me like he was going to kill me. <laughs> Imagine if they'd posed on motorbikes. <laughs> yeah, motorbike. So there was going to be a motorcycle emptiness. I thought oh, oh, no. oh, I'm going to be sick. I think it was that one. And James looked at it and I was like, don't go near it. Don't touch it. Don't be photographed near it. <laughs> so we did some kind of shoot and then it didn't quite work. And I think that's a sort of chopped up cover but- of that's one in ten googling the manics and seeing the word motorcycle. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> also, or his name was James Dean. Can you imagine James Dean Bradfield astride a motorbike? No, no. no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I a, thought I was going to be fired at that point. Yeah. Also, I'll just on my Google search ex- experience just now. I've just seen <laughs> of of picture of the manics, which is from Holy Bible era by the looks of it, yeah. and. Sean's got long, luscious hair. Yeah. yeah. I've not yeah, seen yeah. this before. It looks oh, you have. It's like yeah, Fabio. Yeah. Sean had fabulous hair. He used to wear, I had a fur coat. He used to wear my fur coat. Oh, yes. It's funny, when they lived with us, I used to sort of give them, <laughs> this is the most bizarre kind of anecdote, that you, I, they used to come home at night and have makeup everywhere, and I had to tell them about makeup remover. There's <laughs> a funny little anecdote for you. I had to get I, a unique soap bar and say, you're going to ruin your skin, you know? <laughs> oh, I think that's what our listeners live for, though, is the, the little weird anecdotes about the band. So, yeah, amazing. Sure. Well, I've really enjoyed it. I've been really nervous um, about doing I mean, I'm never very good at these things sometimes, and I know... I, pass up a load of them but but listening through and and because you came months ago didn't you yes I just, yeah, yeah. hey and uh yeah it, it's been fun you well, should check is... out Himalayas by the way they're well, another we are just we're, we're just getting to to that I know you're desperate to get your your plugs in and that's the only reason you've come <laughs> no, <on here>. not <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no I've sent it to the band so I'm hoping they'll support them whenever those NHS thing gigs happen if they do in July great if not you know 
Oh, We've got cool. tickets. That We've got cool. tickets to that. Yeah, and annoyingly, be... it's been rescheduled to the weekend when one of our good friends is stag do has been rearranged to also. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know what to do. They're tour four times this year. It's like that's crazy. It's so hard. But um, the reason why I kind of threw it in is because I, I sent it to John Robb. You know, John Robb, the journalist yeah. who, who started Louder Than War. And Louder Than War was named after the Fidel Castro quote. And he came back and went shit. Dare I say, early manic. So, oh really? I'm not plugging work, but I just thought it might be something you <laughs> might get into because he said they're kind of like the manic. So, I will say, I think we talked the over the band name. Can you say it again? I think I missed yeah, that. Not... Yeah, if you could say it again, that'd be. <laughs> so they're up on Spotify, and there's some videos around, and yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yes, they Himalayas. That yeah, I, I've I've heard bits of them. Uh, I actually Hard. didn't. I didn't hear early manics. But that's made me want to go back and re-listen. I didn't, to maybe because the, the, the single we love to hate was quite sort of political and it was mm. sort of punky, and I think John Rob liked it for that. But but you know they're a bit sort of arctics, a bit strokesy, yeah, uh, a bit royal blood. You know they're the kind of things they like. Um, but yeah, it was John Rob who kind of pushed that out. Um, and I noticed he on his tweet he sort of said similar to the Manics. A lot of people went, "No, they're not." <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, anyway, well, listen, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you coming on. It's been really interesting just to hear those little stories and stuff. It's been nice. When I come off now, I'm going to think of a hundred things I should have said, but there you go. Yeah, we'll think think of a hundred things we should have asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Terry. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, that was our interview with Terry Hall, who was lovely. Great guest. Great guest. The, the reason that we're kind of doing an outro is because we had like some technical hiccups. And so um, we're, we're kind of just coming in at the end here just to tidy everything up. I don't think we actually got to do yeah, an we're outro pr- with her. Which we're is praying we've got fun. everything. And the technical... <laughs> The technical hiccups were yeah. entirely Steve's fault, just yeah, for the record. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Steve, Always. Steve Always was Steve's first fault. to blame, then Adam <laughs> was most Steve. to blame, and Always I am Steve. in no Always way Always to blame. Steve. Always Steve. Nothing Always Steve. to do with Always me. Steve. Always Steve. Always Steve. I love that chant. Do <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you remember chanting with you. friends? Like, no. No. Drunk, you know, seeing friends. No, I don't remember that. Don't remember seeing any friends? Don't remember. <laughs> don't remember having Thank friends. Thank you, <laughs> listeners. For listening to this, um, we had a, a really lovely, nice, great time. I really enjoyed so that good. a lot. Um, let's do plugs uh, because you can talk to us on Twitter at Manix Podcast. You can talk to us on Instagram at Manix Podcast. Uh, there's lots of stuff like polls and uh, stuff to get involved in on there. So it'd be great to see our listeners over there as well. Um, we're on Facebook. And also, you know, look, you listening to this is uh 100% supporting our podcast and we love you for it if you feel like you want to chuck us a couple of quid and you want something in return for that then we do have a merch store set up on uh at do you love us.redbubble.com we've got t-shirts and bath mats and jigsaws and notebooks and phone cases and stuff lots of cool designs puzzles Lots of sh- I said jigsaws. Oh, lots of uh, <laughs> cool designs, stupid designs. Um, 
Uh, yeah, and you can get them on basically any product you want. Uh, if you want to complain about Steve, email us what? at uh, <laughs> manixpodcast@gmail.com. And I, I, I will. I will urge you again, uh, just because I think we were all talking over each other. Um, do check out the band Himalayas, who uh, Terry is is currently managing. They are actually genuinely quite cool, and um, it is it does take a lot to get any kind of music recommendation from me. Uh, listen to Himalayas <laughs> and never listen to Lighthouse Family. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So, well, can I just can I just can I just interject thing. there? The only Do thing listen to Lighthouse that is left to say is we live in rock and roll. No, we don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> End the podcast. End it. End it. <laughs> oh, we live in rock and roll. We're just rock and roll. Bye. Ocean Drive. The Friday.